What if you had never gotten a report card in your life, and then you were handed a really detailed one, and it had some pretty low marks? That's kind of what's happening to colleges as they start to analyze their own institutional data and look harder at student achievement on their campuses. And that can be tough for professors and administrators, especially at community colleges where access is open to all. That's one of the insights found by the nonprofit group Achieving the Dream, which works with community colleges around the country to try to create a more data-driven culture. Someone recently described Achieving the Dream to me as the biggest reform network in community college, so I wanted to learn more about what its model is and where they see the future of community colleges going. I'm Jeff Young, one of the co-hosts of the Ed Sir John Ayer podcast, and I recently sat down with Achieving the Dream's president, Karen Stout, for a candid discussion about how community colleges are wrestling with their data. It sounds like it can get pretty messy. We'll have that conversation right after this. This episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Ed Surge Digital Learning Network. Move your institution forward faster. Join a community of instructional designers and other higher education strategic leaders in the Ed Surge Digital Learning Network. Visit www.edsurgedln.com to find out more. That's DLN as in Digital Learning Network. All right, I'm here today at Achieving the Dream with the President Karen Stout. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's great. It's great to have you and great to, to be able to talk to Ed Surge. I guess the community college right now, it seems like there's a, a moment where it's going through a lot of change, both both the attention to like the idea of having free community college, but also I hear that a lot of community colleges are having decline, facing declining mm-hmm. enrollments, partly because of just demographics of kind of who's coming through the pipeline. And so is there any kind of thing you can say where we are in the country about where community colleges kind of stand? Well, I think we're facing a new access and new completion call to action. I mean, to think differently about reaching new populations and figuring out how to be better at what we call completion. So it's not so just a, opening it's your not, doors to people, but to really do more. It's to, really to do more and to reach proactively into communities where, because of the enrollment boom, maybe we didn't need to. I see. And and about completion, is it partly the workforce issue? I think it's it's understanding that completion can be a range of things. It does. It's not just the associate degree. It can be a credential that has labor market value. It can be a cluster of courses that have some type of wage gain value. It can be, it can be a non-credit kind of industry certification opportunity mm-hmm. that that places a student in a first job and pulls them off of public benefits and gets them on track, mm-hmm. it may not really have a lot of uh, relative wage gain, but, but pulls someone, you know, into a, into a career opportunity. Right, a career track. And then understanding the role of the community college in pulling that student to the next credential. You know, we've done a lot of work in our communities getting students the first credential, and then we, we stop. Hmm. We 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 want the student or the now the the student who's employed to come back to us for retraining and reskilling instead of saying to them let us help you pull let's help let us be proactive and help you get to that next credential kind of a lifelong learning yeah lifelong learning bringing uh, 
and being strategic and intentional about it, creating your marketing programs around it, creating the admissions programs around it. If you look at completion more holistically, then you begin to take seriously the opportunity that community colleges could have in changing their communities by uh, being more proactive in GED programs, in adult basic education, in English as a second language, and using all of those as opportunities for uh, addressing educational, community-based educational attainment gaps and wage gaps. And right now, there are community-based organizations doing that work. There are for-profits that come in to the communities that, that do that work. So the competitive landscape is, it's pretty intense. I think a lot of people, when I talk to people and mention Achieving the Dream, I think people have heard of it and they're like, oh yeah. But can you talk a little bit, just for those who may not even know that much, about what the basic strategy is for community colleges you work with? Or what is the model in a nutshell? Well, our, our strategy is to work side by side in some cases, I, I had a colleague president call us uh, her training partner, her, her personal training assistant. The we, president of a community college you work with. Because we, we go in and we provide coaching support mm -hmm. to help colleges with building uh, the data infrastructure that they need to move forward with data-informed decision-making. In other words, to find the gaps in educational attainment mm -hmm. around different types of uh, student populations. And then we provide leadership coaching to help the colleges move through a change management process that's very important to shift culture to be focused on student success as well as student access. So colleges come into our network for a three-year experience, and we help them with uh, the fundamentals of, of change. And that we have seven capacities for change that we believe lead to a student-focused culture. Uh, and we work colleges through those capacities. We help them build strength so that they can then improve student outcomes. So these seven are these things like financial uh, leadership. Knowledge, leader, no, no, is it for so the college? One, so seven capacities. Uh, one is leadership, the strength of uh, leadership throughout the organization, presidential mm -hmm. leadership, board leadership, okay. faculty leadership, faculty union leadership, hmm. you know, the range of, of stakeholder leadership that's really important. All, all combined need to be strong. The uh, strength of the data and technology infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So the ability, you know, there, there's the, the technology infrastructure that supports teaching and learning, but there, and, and integrated planning and advising systems, mm -hmm. but as well as the data structure that helps to uh, disseminate data to people so that they can make, you know, decisions on the ground. Mm -hmm. Faculty have their course data in their hands, for example, you know, sure. things like that. That's a capacity. Equity. Equity is another capacity. Are you looking at disaggregated student data and understanding where the educational attainment gaps are in your college? And they vary from college to college. I and see. then are you designing strategies to get at those educational attainment gaps? And you're being systematic in addressing them you know, and really paying attention to them. So I guess your own college, it sounded like before you were at um, Montgomery County College in Pennsylvania, a community college, and the it sounds like you guys were a part, early partner and kind of a, a beacon of what this looked like. So can you talk about, you know, even though that winds back the clock a little bit, what what kind of process you went through there? Or what Tell the story of one campus, maybe with the one you know the best. Well, at Montgomery, we joined Achieving the Dream in 2006. 
there is as much about the way we went about ATD as the results of ATD. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the coaches came to Montgomery, they helped us to understand ourselves through the lens of, of the student experience with the data. And one of the early big takeaways, and this is just one example, and different colleges go at it differently, uh, we really looked at the success rates of students in developmental math, which forced us, when we looked at that, to fully redesign the developmental math sequence and the way students entered developmental math. Once we started to see some real progress in moving students uh, into college-level math in a faster way, we looked at developmental English. And we realized at that point the Community College Research Center had come out with some groundbreaking research about uh, the error factor in using AccuPlacer. Mm -hmm. And our faculty went through a a long conversation and governance process Mm -hmm. to change the way that we went about placement for students, Mm -hmm. which honestly accelerated uh, the movement of students into college-level courses exponentially. Hmm. The first fall semester that we changed our strategy with placement, 1,200 students were able to go into college-level English right away, where previously they had been in developmental English. So those types of things really started to, I think, we call it move the flywheel. Hmm. We also started to put data in the hands of faculty. And that was very powerful. Hmm. So at Montgomery, most of our work was around the teaching and learning space. So once we placed the data in the hands of the faculty and they, they started to see the courses that they were teaching, their student success rates, mm-hmm. when students dropped their classes, mm-hmm. at what point, mm-hmm. they started to work collaboratively in something. We, we created a gateway course academy and they were able to share pedagogy, share insights And there was a lot of redesign of courses as a result of that. Wow. So it was just trying to um, kind of take an engineering approach to these gateway classes. Yeah, I think it's it's a design thinking approach. It's using the data and and thinking a little bit differently about design. Why why do these colleges need you or some coach to go through this? We've had colleges, many colleges can can take our seven capacities and they can try to, to, to develop a methodology to do the, the work on their own. Like the home game. They could do it they on can. their own. Yeah. I think what the coaching brings is a discipline that you don't get on your own. It's okay. a check-in. It's okay. someone who, and, and you get someone who continually tests your assumptions, challenges your thinking a little bit, uh, helps you to take a bigger leap Mm-hmm. Rather than just doing a small, maybe boutique intervention to test it, mm-hmm. they'll push you to say, you know, we have the data nationally. Why right. don't you try that at scale right out of the bat? I see. And the coaches come back and keep, for those first three years, keep the colleges on track to their work plan. So they help the colleges develop a work plan. Mm-hmm. They go on site, they visit. I am coaching a college now in ATD. Hmm. It's uh, very similar to a president teaching. I thought I better understand what this coaching really mm. is. And I think that the outside, what I found powerful was that the outside voice, an outside coach coming in, I could say things that the president couldn't say and get away with it because I was going to be leaving. Yes. 
Sure. But I'm going back. So there's accountability to that. Uh, but I'll go back. I'll probably reinforce the things that I said uh, and help the college stay on track. But those check-in points are really important for discipline. When you start taking the approaches, the data-driven approaches in this um, engineering model, what do you think is the thing that surprises the the faculty and, and administrators you work with the most once they've started to look under the hood on that? I think faculty rarely are, are looking at that data in that in that way. So it's new to them. It's, it's new totally to this, new to them. And and we're learning at achieving the dream that we have to help faculty productively engage with their data. Hmm. There are certain stages that you can observe colleges going through. So at first, and administrators do this too, but I think it's more more faculty oriented. The first is here's a look at your student success data. In aggregate then by program, then by student population. And the first the first thing is that the colleges and the, the stakeholders fight with their data. In other words, that's not with good their own da- data. that's not good data. Where did you get that from? Huh. Uh, so so there's that that tension around arguing with the data and the credibility of the data. Once you get past the fact that, okay, no data is actually is, is perfect, but this is your data. It's coming out of your system, and it's pretty clean. You know, once you kind of prove that, they get past that, and then they start to ask. They get into a phase I call the calls to wonder phase, where they start to look at the data and they start posing calls to wonder questions. Then that's when the magic starts to happen because hmm. that's when faculty start to look uh, at verifying the data in some really really wonderful ways. So they'll do, they'll start uh, focus groups Hmm. and you see the faculty then engage with students and they hear the students' stories, the stories that they don't hear when they're in the classroom, you know, about the reasons that the student, the students may not be performing well in their class. All of a sudden, faculty, wow, it may not be actually their level of academic preparedness. It's something else. And maybe I can have a role in helping to connect the dots. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's interesting, I think, for that's surprising to faculty is that they look at their course and they look at their course data, but they don't understand how that student progresses through the rest of their experience at the college. You know, they're just looking at all these students in English 101 and they're not thinking, I wonder how they did in English 102. I wonder if they were, if their goal was to transfer, if they really reached their goal. And so they start to see the full student experience and they get better connected as to why their work, the ripple effect of their work, which is that culture changing component. Hmm. I, I was curious when you were just saying that, that story, when they don't, they argue with their data, what is it that they see that they don't, that they, they don't want to be true? I mean, in a nutshell, without naming any names of institutions. Well, they, they don't want to see their, their own course completion data. Okay. The, they don't want even to something see, as basic as that. They don't want to see that the class enrolled thirty-two. Okay, and that three weeks in because that's a high number. Well, let's say that's the max. Say I that's see. The, I'm just making that as a maximum. Different colleges have different maximums, but so thirty-two come into the classroom, and three weeks in, it's down to twenty-five, mm-hmm. and at mm-hmm. midterm, it's down to eighteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, while they have observed that potentially for years and that pattern, to see it quantified and made public is, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. 
it's also uncomfortable when when the completion rates are you know made public and then when you begin to disaggregate the data and you see that some student populations don't do as well with the completion rates as others mm-hmm. and then when you look at the income low income students and the completion rates and you begin to really get a picture of where your own gaps are it's hard it's hard and some colleges haven't really looked at it that way do you have any um i definitely get a sense that i hear all that you're saying but there's still i know that even though we focus on covering ed tech there's still plenty of people that question whether the tech should be brought in or to what level sort of this should be if there could be an overuse of tech and i wonder with this data-driven approach, if you encounter that at colleges you work with, and what's your kind of comeback for for them? We are, I, we didn't encounter that in the early days of Achieving the Dream when we were trying to move to culture of evidence. Mm-hmm. That was really the, the language we were using. And now that we've moved to helping colleges with a solution called integrated planning and advising systems, there is a tendency by our colleges to say, I just want to buy that. Can I buy that? <laughs> well, no, you can't buy that. Huh. It, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a business process design that has to be, your, your college has to, to, you have to, you have to map it. You have to flow chart it. You have to think about what the student experience is. And, and it's custom to, for their institution. You design your, the way you want the student flow to come in. And that means, you know, what people resources need to be in place, mm-hmm. when, for which students, you know, how long. And then you think about the technology that supports that flow. You don't buy the technology without thinking about the, the, the human design, you know, the, the design thinking piece of it. And we are confronting it like head on right now and trying to, to work with colleges uh, to help them understand how they go hand in hand. However, another observation with the data and technology piece of the capacity building work that we do is that the colleges overbuy and don't use, you know, they might use 20% of the power of the tool that they're buying. Mm-hmm. They're not optimizing it. And I think that's a that's an issue that I, you know, achieving the dream, I think, can help our colleges with that, with some good, strong partnership conversations with the ed tech community. I feel like it's like those... Uh the experience of like going into Best Buy or whatever and you like every it looks you want to get the one that has all the features but you forget that you don't ever use that the other thing is that we are we really want our colleges to put students in the center of these design teams and these design thinking teams I mean get the student voice uh, and it sounds like you did that in Montgomery we did we did so how did you get into this this work yourself Um, I have been in community colleges since maybe a year and a half out of uh, college. <laughs> and I stumbled into it. I don't think many of us think about having a career as a community college president you know, right out of college. But I, I was, my mom cut out a classified ad out of the local paper hmm. where I grew up, and they were looking for a coordinator of high school recruitment. And I was working in my first job, I was an English major in college, as a uh, I was doing legislative relations for a chamber of commerce with small business issues. That was my first. In your hometown? No, somewhere else. Okay. My mom wanted me back in my hometown. Got it. So I applied 
And I was, I, it's a funny story because I was rejected three times. I applied three times and was rejected. It kept being advertised over and over. Sure. Got a call one day and they said, if you can come in tomorrow, the search committee would like to meet with you. Tomorrow. Wow. And I said, yes, I said, yes. The power of the yes. I said, yes. And I walked out that afternoon as uh, the coordinator of high school recruitment at Harford Community College in Bel Air, Maryland. And that's where I started my career. And I had great mentors I fell in love with the students. I fell in love with the range of things you can do on a community college campus as an administrator. You, you, you're not siloed. Mm. You know, there's not a lot of vertical work at a community college. It's mostly horizontal because we're leanly, we're leanly staffed. So sounds like somebody can interpret this as overburdened, but you were excited. Oh no, I was excited. (laughs) I, I learned about strategic planning and writing title three grants and, I moved, moved up in the organization. I started, to, I, I got my master's degree at night. I started to teach uh, part time. And I had someone who said, you know, you, you could be a community college president if you, if you really wanted to be. I thought, oh, that, that might be something that's fun, fun to do. But I, so I worked at four different community colleges and mm-hmm. over the course of the time that I was in, you know, on the ground with community colleges and the last almost 15 years as president at Montgomery County Community College. I landed here because I, I was really attracted to the, the work of achieving the dream and the energy, the, the energy that we bring to a campus mm-hmm. on the focus on students, which is, you know, what, what attracted me to the community college to begin with and kept me at the community college. So this opportunity to work in a national position to, to really spread the energy, passion, and enthusiasm of, of the student success work attracted me. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. You're welcome. This has been the EdSurge On Air podcast. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young, with advertisements read by Alice Meyerhoff. You can give us a grade on the quality of this podcast by rating us on iTunes or sending email to feedback at edsurge.com. You can also subscribe on the iPhone podcast app, on Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more conversations about the future of education.